Bibles there. Uh, Joel is one of the minor prophets. It's kind of one of the, the first minor prophets in the Bible. So if you are flipping to Daniel, it's a little bit after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. If you get to Daniel, it's like just two books after Daniel. Um, there's not a whole lot known about Joel in comparison with some of the other prophets. Uh, there's a bit of debate on when exactly his ministry was happening and, and what the exact context was. Uh, but what we, what we do know specifically from the text is that Israel had just experienced this devastating locust infestation. Uh, all their crops were wiped out, their livelihoods were destroyed. And in the midst of that, uh, Joel is warning Israel that the day of the Lord is coming. Uh, the day of the Lord is a term we see uh, throughout the Bible, particularly in the prophets, uh, which describes a time when God will supernaturally intervene in the course of human history, where he will pour out his righteous judgment on sinners, and he will pour out his blessing on those who repent, those who are faithful. Uh, so Israel was kind of looking forward to this time, uh, the day of the Lord, because they believed that that was the day where God was going to come and he was going to judge everybody else, that he was going to judge those who uh, brought them into exile, those who have harmed them and abused them. Uh, so they were anticipating that day, kind of with hope. But what Joel is here uh, saying in this book, and we're going to look at in this particular passage, uh, that Israel is not exempt from that judgment that God's going to bring in the day of the Lord. That Israel will also be judged because of their unfaithfulness, because of their lack of love for him, and because of their sin. Uh, so Joel 2, verses 2 to 14, kind of offers us a picture of the attitude uh, that we should have on a day like Day of Fashion Wednesday in this Lenten season. Uh, so let's go ahead and read it. Joel 2, verses 12 to 14. Reads, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows why he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? So Joel is calling on people to return to God with all their hearts, uh, to rend their hearts. Uh, the reality is that the people of God have not loved God as they were created to do and as they were called to do. And in the same way that we do now, today, uh, have often not loved God as we were created to be. That we, uh, as people created in God, then were created to know God and to love God. Uh, and that as we act in ways that are not loving towards God, we are acting opposite of our creating purpose. But what does it mean to, to love God? I think, I think love can be this kind of ambiguous, amorphous term that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, so I think it's important to kind of uh, recognize what Bible says about it. Because even as we say love, it's kind of, you know, we use love to mean multiple things. Even on a day like Valentine's Day, we talk about it a lot. You know, that I love, you know, if I think about my wife, I love my wife Maggie. Uh, but I also love my parents. Uh, friends who I say that I love. And, you know, I also say that I love coffee and Thai food. And, and we kind of implicitly know that there's a difference between what those types of love are. That the love that I have for my wife is different than the love that I have for coffee. So what is the love that the Bible talks about? Uh, that talks about God loves us and how we are supposed to love God in return. So there's kind of two uh, common words throughout the Bible uh, that are used for love. In the Hebrew, it's this word called akhava, and in the Greek, it's this word called agape, which essentially means the same thing in different languages. Uh, and one of the kind of prominent passages that reflect this uh, love, this physical love, is Deuteronomy 6, verses 
4 to 6. And it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So we see the biblical love is an all-encompassing, full-body love. That we are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's all of who you are, all of what your life entails, all of that should be uh, loving the Lord. And, and it's the same way that God loves us that way, that God loves us fully with who he is. That God's love originates uh, from his character, because he himself is love. First uh, John 4 talks about that God is love, that he's not just, uh, you know, he doesn't just kind of have some love towards us, or just kind of an example of love, but he himself is love. Uh, that his love towards us is unconditional. It, it's, it's not something that we necessarily earn. He created us because he loved us. Uh, that God's love is not greedy, but there's a genuine feeling that he has towards us of love, of delight, of affection. But that God's love is in action as well. That we see God's love uh, to us in the way that he created us, in the way that he sustains us, and the grace that he continues to pour out on us. That God's love is both genuine feeling and genuine action. And in the same way, our love towards God should be this all-encompassing feeling and action. That we love God with genuine joy and delight in Him. That when we spend time with Him, we uh, enjoy it in the same way that when we spend time with people that we love, we enjoy that as well. But we also love God through obedience. Uh, John 14, uh, John 14, Jesus talks about how uh, those who love Him will also obey His commands. So the way that we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, is through obedience to him, following his commands. But then Jesus also takes that one step further, uh, and in the Gospels where he, he quotes this passage where somebody comes up to him and asks him, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, and he replaces this verse that he must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. But then he follows up uh, with, the, with the second commandment. The second greatest commandment is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does it mean to love God? It means to have genuine affection towards Him, to obey Him, but then also to love our neighbors, to love those around us, to care for those uh, who need help. Uh, our love for God is not just a passive feeling that happens towards us. You know, we have, when we talk about falling in love, it's kind of this passive thing, like I fell in love, like something just kind of happened to me, where love for God is more like an active thing. Uh, it's a thing that we participate, it doesn't just kind of happen to us. So we are called to love God with all your hearts, with all your souls, with all your might. And then we must love others as well. And all of that encompasses being a full, embodied uh, love of the Lord. So the problem here in Joel is that the people of God, Israel, was not doing that. They were not loving God with all of who they are. That they were worshiping other gods. Uh, they're kind of ignoring uh, their God. Uh, they're breaking his commands. They're doing all these things. Uh, and judgment is coming to them. But we too, like Israel, do not love God in the way that the Bible commands us to do so. It may look different, and the context is a little different. Uh, but the standard that God says uh, of what he calls us to love him, uh, we, we often don't live up to that. Uh, what, might, what might that look like? For some people, uh, some people might have an active dislike towards God. There's some kind of bitterness or animosity that they hold towards Him. Uh, for others, uh, you know, we might have a sense of apathy towards Him or indifference. 
we just kind of go about our lives uh, ignorant of the fact that he might be there and how we kind of consider uh, what, he, what he's called on us, uh, how he might be impacting our lives. For some of us, we may love the gifts, but not the giver of the gifts. We like the things that God does for us, or the things he gives us, we like the provision that he's given us, the relationships that he's given us, but we're kind of indifferent about the one who has actually given us the gifts. Oh, we don't obey him. Uh, we, we actively uh, kind of break his commands and sin against him. So we do things that we shouldn't have done, and we don't do things that song us into, that we think things that are uh, not glorifying him or love to those around us. For some of us, we might go through the emotions of following him and loving him, but it's more out of obligation or habit rather than genuine love. Uh, we come on Sunday morning because that's what you do. We, we know how to sing the songs in the right way. Uh, we know how to kind of answer the question by the study in the correct way. Uh, we're just kind of going through the motions on that. But there's not a genuine love there. I mean, this was, this was my story uh, growing up in the church. And, you know, knowing how to answer the right questions in Sunday school and then uh, yeah, knowing the words of the songs and being able to kind of put on an outward performance of what it looks like to love God. But you know, internally, there was no real love. For him, I didn't even know that we were really supposed to love God. I thought, you know, to love him and to do these things without any kind of genuine delight in him. Uh, so luckily, in, in, in God's grace, you know, I came to, to realize that uh, you can do those things and have genuine love for him. But there's a difference between, like, singing worship songs without love and singing worship songs with love. The words are the same, but there's a different, uh, different reality to that. Uh, for some of us, we might compartmentalize that we love God in certain aspects of our lives, um, but we don't love Him in other aspects of our lives. That we love Him on Sunday mornings and in family prayer, uh, but we don't love Him when we don't allow Him to kind of seep into our work life or how we should spend our money uh, or the relationships that we have with those of life. But we compartmentalize in certain aspects of our life and allow Him to be there, but not in other ways. That we're not loving him fully. We might love others, but also but not love God. That we might be all about serving and caring for the poor, you know, doing things that he's called us to do, but we don't necessarily love God in that way. We do it because we think it's the right thing to do. Or we might love God, but we don't love other people. That we have uh, really great times of word, really great times at Bible study or singing songs of praise, but we don't care about our neighbors. We don't go out of our way to help those in need. That we're not loving people as he has called us to love them. So Joel's, uh, Joel's solution to this, what he's calling Israel to do and what we are called to do today on our Wednesday is to turn, is to return to the Lord with all of our hearts, to rend our hearts, to repent of our lack of love, to repent of our sin and to turn towards God. That this is the purpose of that Wednesday. To recognize the ways in which we do not love God as we should. To recognize our sin and to return to Him with humility. We return to Him with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, with this genuine recognition of our love. Joel says when he talks about in verse uh, 13, he calls us to, to rend your hearts and not your garments. The idea of rending, uh, rending your garments, we see this throughout the Old Testament. Uh, it, when people have sinned or something has gone wrong, uh, they tear their clothes. I don't know, you know, it's a, an, an external sign, an internal grief and repentance that they have.
app. Uh, David is right when he does it, succeeds it. So we're ready to hear our caring folks because you are uh, apologetic, because you are repentant, and you're showing that in a kind of wholesale, fully embodied way. But what Joel is accusing Israel of doing here is that they had been wearing garments in a performative way, that they were going through the motions and tearing their clothes, uh, but internally they were not doing the same thing for their hearts, that their hearts were not repentant, that their hearts were not returning to God, but they were just going through the motions and eventually kind of going back to the way things were. So he is calling the Israel to do, he's calling us to do, to have this genuine repentance, this wholehearted surrender and change. But Joel finishes with uh, a word of hope in verse 14. He says, who knows whether we will not turn and live and leave the blessing behind him. Uh, this who knows is not this kind of like, you know, somebody asks you a question and you don't have an answer to it, and you're just kind of like, who knows? Uh, it's more like a... Who knows? He might do it, so we should, we should try doing it. You know, who knows? Maybe he will relent from his judgment, and maybe he'll leave behind us. It's worth a try. And we are in a really position now to know that he has done this. Um, in 1 John 4, verses 9 to 11, it reads, In this, the love of God has been manifested among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent. Maybe he will leave a blessing. And we know that he has done that through his son, Jesus Christ. That he has turned and relent uh, because Jesus, he sent Jesus to live, to die, to raise again, to the satisfaction of God's judgment, the satisfaction of his wrath. And then uh, those who believe in him, those who have faith in Christ, those who, who put their trust in him and follow him, are also, uh, uh, also do not face that wrath anymore, that God has turned and relented of his wrath from those who put their faith in Jesus. But it's not just that, God has also blessed those who have faith in Christ through Christ. That now those who have faith in Christ are, are, are saved from judgment, uh, that we are live new lives um, through Christ, and we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And then we have hope uh, that we get to spend eternity in the new heavens and new earth with God forever. So we see that God loves us, that his love has no beginning or end, because he himself is love. That he extends that love towards us, and that's evidence in his son. And that he did offer a blessing through his son, and that those who receive Christ in faith will not face the judgment of God. So how do we respond? How do we respond here on Ash Wednesday, these next 40 days of Lent? Uh, we, respond, we respond with repentance, with a genuine rending of our hearts, looking internally, uh, analyzing the ways that we have sinned, that we don't love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our might. Uh, we bring those forward with genuine repentance. Um, and seeking to receive his forgiveness, uh, living out his grace, uh, and then through the power of the Spirit, uh, aim to love and follow him more and more faithfully. We also respond with gratitude. We are thankful that he did turn and relent, that we no longer face uh, the punishment of our sin. We respond with praise uh, by thanking him, by loving him, uh, by worshiping him. And then finally, we respond with love. This full 
wholeheartedly body of love and Lord our God with all our souls, with all our heart, with all our souls, and with all our minds. Let's pray. God, we confess uh, that we have not loved you as you have loved us, that we have not loved you as you have called us to love you, that we have lived lives uh, of, of sin, of rebellion, of, uh, of rejection of you, of, of ignoring you. God, thank you, uh, thank you that even though, uh, even when we have not loved you, that you have loved us, uh, that you have pursued us, that you have sent your son in love, that he lived and died and rose again because he loved us, and that it's through uh, faith in him that we uh, can be reconciled with you, that we can uh, love you more fully, that we can live with you. So I pray that you help us to, uh, to be aware of the ways that we uh, have kind of structured our lives uh, apart from you, the ways that we um, hold our, our hearts in, in ways that are contrary to who you are. Uh, Lord, reveal those things to us. Spirit, illuminate those things in us. Help us to turn to you, to, to offer those things to you, to repent of those things. Help us to, to feel that genuine repentance. Help us to, to fully recognize the ways that we acknowledge you, to fully recognize uh, the wrong that that is. And Lord, help us to, to celebrate and to praise you because of your goodness, because of your son, because of the new life that you offer. Help us to, uh, to live our lives wholeheartedly uh, with affection for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, this part of the National Wednesday service is the uh, imposition of ashes. Kind of what's going on in this moment is we're remembering uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, that uh, and 